All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome into the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 6. My name is Andrew Drozdak. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm joined, as always, by my good buddy, the best brewer in town, Mr. Thomas Bowen. Bowen, how we doing? Oh, man, doing good, doing good. Good to be back, uh, talking some ball. Got some another good weekend of football here so uh yeah let's uh let's do a little recap and get into it yeah man so for anybody new to the show thanks for joining us but this is how the rundown works we are south carolina football fans but we are also junkies of the game of football we are former players former coaches we love the game we eat the game we sleep the the game we drink the game I don't know what I just said there, but <laughs> the point being, we are X's and O's junkies. This is the X's and O's shows for the Jimmies and the Joes. So we're going to break down football at a level that we like to believe is higher than almost any in college football podcasting world. If you're a slightly below average football fan, don't worry. We're going to teach you some things. If you're a slightly above average football fan, hopefully you'll enjoy what we're saying and agree with us. And if you're an average fan, you'll probably learn some things too. Either way, we just hope you have some fun. We're Gamecock fans, so we talk mostly about the University of South Carolina Gamecocks. We are alumni of the University of South Carolina, and we are going to jump right into last week's review. South Carolina beating Mississippi State 37-30. to Thomas, my recap starts with the fact that we gave Mario Anderson the football. And it's good, about time. And good things happen, man. Good things happen. He is a back that is perfect for the state of our offensive line. Um, our offensive line has improved dramatically since week one against UNC in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium. I'm going to talk more about that in a few minutes. But he is a player, and again, Thomas, I said this last week, it comes down to he is small, compact, and thick, but also has a great balance, a great ability to run through contact. And the biggest thing he does is he turns – two-yard gains, even losses into a three, four, five-yard gain, and he'll bust one for a little bit of extra yardage there every once in a while. But he is a player you need right now for this offensive line. He's going to help. Yeah, and and the, the, the another thing that I noticed about him in the Mississippi State game was it seems to be every game and the more carries he gets, his vision seems to improve. You know, people, you, you can talk about having the moves and being able to run over people, all that, but so much of the zone scheme, inside zone, outside zone duo that we run a lot of and a lot of teams do is about vision. you got to let things develop in front of you. I think his vision has gotten better. I think so, too. And I mean, we you hear football people talk about this all the time, the idea of practice speed and game speed. No matter what, you can't simulate game speed in practice. You just can't. So he's getting more game experience. And so he's getting his game legs, his game vision, his game, you know, feeling back. He's getting back in that groove. You know, it was two weeks ago. He got two carries. This this week, or I guess that was a couple weeks back, he got more carries than that the previous week, maybe. But anyway, he got 20 this week and looked really, really, really good. Scored a touchdown. I know that was an awesome moment for him to get in the end zone at Williams-Brice Stadium, a South Carolina product. Doing that is always exciting. Thomas, one of the things I was really impressed with, because we sort of heard maybe some of the holdup was, can he handle picking up a blitzing linebacker in an SEC game? And boy, howdy, can he. 
He is a tough-nosed dude that is going to stick his face in the fan and like it. He did it a few other times uh, when he's been in there this season, showed it a lot. Mississippi State was trying to bring pressure, and he would he stepped up there and took that heat and gave Spencer Radler time to get the ball off. It's just something that is, you know, Thomas, we talk all the time about in, in sports in general, there's certain things you just can't teach. There's a level of toughness. There's a speed. There's an it factor. He's got a lot of those things, and I really believe he will continue to improve as the season goes on, and we need him to. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. One of the things that that we've talked about and a lot of people have talked about was, well, why isn't he getting the, the touches that he deserves? Uh, and like you said, maybe it was maybe he's not good at picking up the blitz. Well, he showed he can do that. Maybe he's not that good at uh, at, at running pass routes, saw some pass routes from him. My point is, is like, I don't think there's anything there, there's no more excuses for him not to have the carries that, that he deserves. So I fully expect I fully expect DK Joyner to be on the depth chart, number one mm-hmm. RB, RB1, mm-hmm. and to start this week. And something I thought about today I wanted to bounce off of you was, mm-hmm. at least at this point, I kind of like Anderson coming off of the bench mm-hmm. off of that role for a couple mm-hmm. reasons. Number one is it, it, he can uh, a running back in that position can have the mindset of, you know what, I should be the starting running back. I'm going to show them why I should be the starting running back. And they run the ball and they play with a little chip on their shoulder. At the same time, you're also getting, you're giving that other running back a chance to, to watch the game from the sidelines, see how the defense is playing things, see where the soft spots are and pick up on some things. So I kind of like him right now coming in off the bench, as long as he's getting those carries. No, I, I don't disagree with you there. There are certain players and this is across sports. Some basketball players are better coming off the bench. Some pitchers are better coming out of the bullpen. And maybe he does, you know, get that vision from the sideline, sees a little bit, okay, I see what they're trying to do here. All right, now it's my turn. I can go in there and and, and make some things happen. And that being said, the other side of this is I still believe there's a place for DK Joyner in this offense. He is a Swiss Army knife. We talked a little bit about this, I think, for the past two weeks. I want to continue to see him more of an Orion Brewer-type role from the Lou Holtz era where, you know, and to make a more modern day comparison, and I'm not trying to say he's this player at all, but in the way that San Francisco uses former South Carolina Gamecock, Debo Samuel, they like to call him the wide back. They will put him in the backfield. They'll put him in the slot. They'll put him at wing. They might even put him out all the way at wide receiver on the sideline. And we did that a couple of times with Dak and then motioned him into the backfield. And you know, Thomas, as a defender, that means you got to make a whole lot of checks. All of a sudden, real quick, I around and that throws the defense into chaos. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. DK is is a very good football player. Is he a great running back? That might be debatable, but he's got all those things I just talked about. Speed, toughness, it factor. Find a way to use those things creatively. Give him that end around. Give him that quick pass in the flat. Let him run a slant from the slot position. Again, I, I keep bringing up Ryan Brewer. If you remember, during Lou Holtz's best seasons, Brewer played that slot a lot, and he was running slant. And everybody in the stadium knew he was going to run a slant, and they still couldn't stop it. I think DK has that ability, and I have full faith, and we'll talk more about this in a moment as well. D'Lo, Dallar Loggins, I am fully on that train. He has proven to me that he is a good offensive coordinator, a schemer, a a guy who has rhythm and he understands what he's doing and and makes plays off of plays. I fully expect him to continue to develop 
DK's role in a way that he can use him. Because in the NFL, where he came from for the most of his career as a coach, you got players that are so niche niche they they do certain things you got a third down back you got a third down and long back you got this you got that use dk in that way i love creativity and and motions always mess up the defense make them have to think look to the sideline middle linebackers got to make a call it's always good you want the other team to be confused all right now we've spoken a little bit about the offensive line this was their best game, Thomas. This was their best game. They've improved each week. Um, you have a different combination than what we saw in Charlotte that first week. Three Babalade. Did I say that close to right? Close. Uh, Babalade, yeah. Babalade. Yeah, okay. All right. I tried. Um, emphasis on the wrong syllable. Uh, <laughs> but uh, playing so good. Playing so good at that left tackle position. Tro, uh, is it Bosch? Is it? I think it's Bosch. We're going to go to the to the archives. For we'll that. keep we'll keep going. Um, but Tro kind of doing a rotation thing with Moore at that right guard spot was really good. Um, Tyshawn Wanamaker is back at right tackle. Um, he has some limitations out there. I still think he is a better interior player, but at the same time, he's got a lot of experience against SEC uh, level X, uh, rushers at that right tackle position. He's doing a really good job. And I just like we we found and they asked Spencer Radler either this week or last week about the offensive line's improvement, and he said that they've gelled more, which is so true. You and I have talked about this. Yeah. Having a five, maybe six man rotation, that gets you gotta have that hive mentality. I gotta know what my brother's doing beside me, what he's good at, what he's not, and he's gotta know the same thing about me and when to help me and when not, even if it's not in the playbook. And we're starting to see that happen. A great, great experience there. All right, Thomas. Can we just say, and there's been people, non-Gamecock people, I'd like to point out, highly respected people who are saying this. Is Spencer Radler playing the best at the quarterback position in the SEC right now? You can absolutely make that argument and it's funny you bring that up because um i i was perusing reddit earlier on the the south carolina tennessee game thread and for the most part uh, for for all teams like some of the more level-headed fans tend to migrate towards reddit instead of twitter um but there was a a tennessee fan who said that both quarterbacks meaning joe milton and spencer rattler had been very inconsistent. So he wanted Mm -hmm. to see how the quarterbacks play. And I said, well, tell me you haven't watched the South Carolina game this year without telling me you haven't watched the South Carolina game. Because objectively, statistically, yeah, he's playing some of the best quarterback in in the SEC. Uh, He's he's borderline phenomenal. His stats the other night, those two incompletions, one of them was a blown uh, PI call. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, you you can't ask for a whole lot more, especially, especially when you talk about, at least until of late, the offensive line was real bad early Mm -hmm. and we have had zero running game Mm -hmm. until the semblance of one we saw last week. No, I absolutely agree with you. Um, Spencer, and he's doing a great job also. uh, You mentioned the pressure he's under. Spencer's not going to be confused for Michael Vick anytime soon. But he's athletic. He had a, what was it, 20, 24-yard, 25-yard run in the second half yeah, that yeah. Delo said during his presser today was 100% a run play. I mean, excuse me, a pass play. It was not a called run. He just had to get out, got flushed, and made things happen. That's that it factor again. 
Thomas, we can't talk about the passing game without talking about XL, Xavier oh Leggett. What that dude is destroying two touchdowns over 100 yards, two touchdowns of over 70 yards each, Thomas. That is having ice water in your veins. Yes, yes, that is ice water. And speaking of ice, we have got a sweet deal for from for our listeners, from our good friends at Twice the Ice. Folks, if you're still buying your ice from the gas station, you're doing it wrong. Not only are you overpaying, the quality is crap. A measly seven-pound bag is almost $3 now, and you'll be lucky if you can find a bag that's not a solid chunk of ice. So go find yourself a Twice the Ice machine where you can get a 16-pound bag or a 20-pound directly in your cooler for only $2.50. And we're going to hook our listeners up with a free bag, no strings attached. Check out tticlub.com slash Lake Murray Ice for participating locations. And when you're at the machine, text the word AVERAGE to the phone number on the machine, and boom, a free bag of ice. Thank you to our friends at Twice the Ice. And speaking of boom, Andrew, how about the speed on Leggett on that touchdown? Was that a sonic boom or what? That was impressive, and I'm glad you brought that up. Gamecock started backed up on the, what was it, the one and then the two or the the two and then the four, had to go 90-plus yards on their first two offensive series to get touchdowns and did it. Now, Thomas, a key play during that first drive is is a a Xavier Leggett play, and this kind of wraps it all in a ball of what I've been saying. It was a great play design, and that play design started with the formation. It was third and four, I believe, from the 24-yard line. We're in 11 personnel, which means one running back, one tight end. We're in a two-by-two formation. So that means two wide receiver-type players on either side of the formation. Well, what we did was to the short side, and for anyone who might wonder what that means, those hash marks in the middle, it's when you're on the hash mark closest to the sideline, that's your short side of the field. We had what they call in football right now, which is all the rays, a condensed formation in the fact that our slot wide receiver, who was actually a tight end, Trey Knox, was in almost a wing position. Typically, that slot position is going to be between the numbers and the end of the line of scrimmage. They brought him in tighter, took him off the line, and put him slightly in that wing spot. That's a genius move for a couple different reasons. Number one, he can get a free release from that position. They can't jam him at the line. Number two, it's got to confuse the defense on what's his role. Is he going to trade, meaning he's going to go across the formation? What's his role there? And then outside of him, but again condensed, was Xavier Leggett. At the snap of the ball, Trey Knox runs what we call a vertical stem. And Thomas, I know you're going to get more into that soon when we're talking about Tennessee's offense. And... What he does is, as he's doing that, Xavier Leggett's got it timed out where he's running underneath him right, and you know you could maybe call this a pick play if you really want to, right as Xavier, as right as Trey is getting in the defender's way as Xavier's cutting inside, which was by design. I'll say that at least. Then we have an inside crossing route going on third and four, trying to open it up. If you watch the replay. Trey Knox goes straight to the safety and cut blocks him. He needs to wait a second on that if he's going to keep doing it because you could have called an <laughs> open downfield because he does that well before the ball's thrown. But takes out that safety, so the safety can't help on the coverage. And then, as you said, what was going to be an easy first down turned into a touchdown because Xavier Leggett is just that fast. Had Tom, no idea. Had no idea. I promise you, UT... <laughs> 
has watched this play all week in the film room and have our you know defenses talk all the time about route combinations they are going to be looking for that route combination what delo has proven to me is he's a very smart football coach i guarantee you we will see a moment this weekend where we're going to have that same formation and Trey's going to do that exact same thing. Xavier's going to do that exact same thing. But instead of blocking that safety, he's going to give the old foot chop. We're going to have Spencer Radler go a little pump fake on the inside, and we're throwing it deep to number one on the uh, uh, with a safety who's hopefully jumped that route. He's going to be trained. Hey, if you see this route combination, him coming straight off, him coming underneath him, jump it. He's they're trying to they're trying to get that. And every football player wants to make big play. If Trey gives that good fake, I'm telling you he's going to be standing by himself in the end zone. It's a great play design. It's beautiful. It speaks to how good of a football coach D'Lo is, and I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. On the second drive, we talked already about this, Mario Anderson got the time at, at running back there. Whereas on the previous drive, DK did a fine job. He got a couple yards. He was doing enough to keep the defense honest. But there again, when Mario was in there, what DK was doing for one yard, two yards, three yards, Mario was taking it five, seven, eight. You know, he was just chop, 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 chop. It's just a little bit extra, and you need that. And he, there was one particular play in the second uh, drive. I think it was early on. We're still inside the 20. He's getting hit in the backfield. He is getting hit in the backfield, and he gained six yards. That's, that's what you need when your offensive line's trying to find their rhythm. Thomas. I've said a lot of it already. Daryl, Dowell, excuse me, Loggins is a very good offensive coordinator. And he is proving it over and over again. We will continue. I mean, like you spoke from the beginning of the season, I'm sure there's going to be growing pains. But overall, you got to give that man a high grade. I saw somebody saying on the message board, we're not giving D'Lo enough credit. And somebody commented, commented underneath it, if we had Satterfield right now, we'd be 0-4 or one in three. And I Probably. can't necessarily disagree with that statement. Yeah. So that is really good. You also got to give him a little bit of credit, Thomas, with how great Spencer Radler's playing. You know, he he's doing some work with him. If it's not necessarily fundamentals, which I do think he played the quarterback position, he can help with. But it, he's all everybody who talks about him talks about he gets input from his players, particularly his quarterback. What are you comfortable with? That play I just kind of detailed out. Spencer and them have run that play a million times in practice. I guarantee you. And then D'Lo went to him during Wednesday, Tuesday after practice and said, what do you like on third and short? I want to run this play, coach. Got it. We'll put that in. That play was that play was going to one guy, one guy, and it was Xavier Leggett. That was almost one of those run-type passes. Now, I will say as we switch into you telling us a little bit about what you saw, my dad made a great point tonight when I talked to him. Have, by the way, happy birthday, Dad. Today is my dad's birthday. He uh, is turned hey, seven. Hey. Happy birthday, Dennis. Happy birthday. And uh, he said that D'Lo pointed out during his presser that um, Spencer is reading the field so well, he's getting to his third and fourth read. And what's wow. that? what that's doing is it's making the defense have to defend everyone because that third and fourth read, they're running their route a whole lot better because they're like, hey, yeah. if I get open, Spencer might find me. So yeah. it's just a, an improvement all the way around. Thomas, what are your big takeaways from last Saturday's game? Something you made a really good point talking about D'Lo and uh, what he has done for Rattler. And I could not I could not agree more. I think he has been 
exactly what Spencer Rattler needed. I think this offense is exactly what Spencer Rattler needed. And people seem to forget uh, that Dowell is, in addition to being an OC, he is also a a true quarterbacks coach. Mm-hmm. Satterfield was mm-hmm. not. Satterfield was not a quarterbacks mm-hmm. coach. Yeah, yeah. He he was. I, I believe he was a quarterbacks coach in name, which a lot of OCs are. But Dowell has done it at the top level. He's been with quarterbacks, and like you said, I heard the same thing from him. He is very much a player's coach where he wants input from them, which I think is. You have to be that way, and it's going to give you the best product on the field because if your guys aren't comfortable repping it, they're not going to be comfortable running it. So I really like that out of Dowell, and I think it just continues to pay dividends. This past weekend, man, talking about the defense for a minute, let's let's talk about that. It, mm-hmm. there's, some, there's some good and some bad here. Big day for the defense outside of some huge coverage busts that I'll get into in a second. But otherwise, four sacks, eight pass deflections, um, five of those by the defensive line. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since I've seen a South Carolina defensive line have that many pass deflections. Shout out to Trey uh, T-Rob. Exactly. Uh, the real T-Rob, that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Travian Robinson. Um, yeah. You know, a great, great coach, great player in his own right. So, so yeah, so love seeing that. Um, <clears throat> Jordan Strawn, I think, played one of his better games of the season. I think he had a sack as well. Uh, the coverage bust that I mentioned earlier. And if you're watching the game, you saw it. You don't have to know jack squat about football to know that was a coverage bust. Now, help me remember. So I know there was one. Was there two coverage busts that led to touchdowns? I know for a fact one of them did. I, I believe there was two. I believe there was two because it just looked like to me, both during the game and on rewatch, we were doing a whole lot of talking right before. I think guys didn't know what they were doing. And then when the big play happened, there was a lot of conversation. I will say it didn't look like finger pointing, which I was happy about, but it was more like, hey, man, what, what was happening there? What were we supposed to be doing? And you just can't have that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and it looked like we had, uh, at least on one of them, uh, the first one that was busted, uh, you know, we had safeties were out of position, guys' hips were wrong, flat-footed. It was, it was just bad all the way around. And you could tell also at, uh, I guess that was the halftime interview with Beamer, he was not happy about mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. Not happy about that. And so you, you got to think, you got to hope that's going to get corrected. Flipping to the offensive side of the game, you said it earlier, agree. Mario Anderson, phenomenal game. Got to see more of him. Um, you know, you're right. One of the better games by the offensive line, particularly able to get their run game going. Still four sacks given up, but I want to give some context to that. Four sacks, definitely one, maybe two of those were on Rattler. And I think I think he took ownership for at least. He did. He, he did in this week. He said, I think he said that he had a couple, which if we're being very literal, that means two that were probably his fault. They were covered sacks. He should have gotten rid of the ball. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm not going to put those all on the offensive line, but I, I really like this current rotation they have going and want to see them continue to gel. One more thing I want to mention on that game that you mentioned earlier about D'Lo and the offensive scheming and the game plan and play calling was plays off of plays. This is one of the things that I really like seeing because I felt like we were so starved of this with Marcus Satterfield's hot garbage offense or lack thereof was he would never set up plays mm-hmm, you can see mm-hmm. delo we come out of certain personnel and you'll see it can be something as simple as as a jet motion and then we run something off of that jet motion and mm-hmm. you can tell he's setting up something he's setting up something now you're probably thinking like 
Well, if I'm sitting here in my on my couch crushing bush lights and I notice that surely the other team does. Well, here's the thing. You don't always pick up on some of those things in the game, and it's the good mm-hmm. coaches that know the right time to call that audible off of that or to finally put that tag on that play and run it. And D'Lo is getting really good at that, and I just I think he's getting into a really good rhythm, and mm-hmm. I, I, no complaints from me. Well, and I go back to what uh, Steve Spurrier, former Gamecock, obviously uh, – Florida Gator coach and and on and on and on with the accolades of what he's done. You know, he used to always say, run it till they stop it. The other side of that is when they stop it, have a playoff of it. The great offensive coordinators, oh, you know, like I just mentioned with that play. So let's say we try to run that in a second down and short situation this week against Tennessee. That safety comes flying up and makes the tackle and we don't get the yardage. Dealer is going to, because I, this is what I think of him. He's going to put a check mark by that and go, okay. They they've they're ready for that, but he's that kid's that kid's hunting. Next time I call that, we're gonna do it differently. We're gonna we're gonna fake that. We're gonna call the tag like you just said. And instead of having Trey go ahead and chop him, he's gonna fake that chop him. He's gonna be standing in the end zone by himself. Um, Hopefully so, he catches this one. Uh, yeah, that was literally in my mind, but I was like, I don't ever want to say it out loud, but you did. So I appreciate that about you. Yeah. Uh, um. All right, so we're gonna jump into this week. South Carolina is traveling to Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, to take on the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, if you are a football fan of really any level, last season you know the Gamecocks pulled off an epic upset that very few, if anyone, gave them an opportunity, including myself, that they would do. They uh, you know, just really torched them in a lot of ways. Tennessee fans and Tennessee players and Tennessee coaches and Tennessee boosters and anybody associated with Tennessee volunteers have been unhappy since that game because they really kind of feel like it ruined their their great season. And they've been (laughs) they've been saying and calling for wait till you come to Knoxville next year. Thomas, this is going to be a raucous crowd. They're wearing some special black uniforms for a blackout type situation. Let me just tell you, Vols fans, as a Gamecock, blackouts are a bad idea. Bad they, idea. they are cursed in a way that you might find out about on Saturday. But Gamecocks, Thomas, open up, or didn't open up. I think they actually kind of increased it. Started off, I thought, at 10.5. Now it's 12.5 underdogs at home to the Tennessee Volunteers, or excuse me, on the road to the Tennessee Volunteers. Thomas, and you're going to say the same thing in just a minute. This is not the Tennessee offense of last year. They are not doing as well as they've done this uh, last season. This season, Joe Milton's taken some some heat. You know, there's it's there's been blame across the board. They haven't had that juggernaut steamroll you uh, situation. But Thomas, you know, as an offense, when you're playing a fast paced other offense when Tennessee's playing fast pace what that means your offense at South Carolina has to do you have to stay on the field you can't go three and out if your defense is running sideline to sideline they can't sub out they're going deep on you you're having to run long long coverages you cannot go three and out because those guys tongues are hanging out of their heads they need that Gatorade break they need that rest you cannot go three and out that is a big 
big factor in this game for South Carolina. Stay on the field. As much as you need to score points as often as you can, you need to have a five-minute, six-minute, seven-minute drive. You need to, The goal really needs to be two first downs a drive before any – You know, obviously you want to score a touchdown, but if we can get two first downs and we can do it with the run game as well, we can eat clock and we can shrink the clock, shorten the game for our defense where they're not running all over without any help. Um, meaning that they can't sub. Spencer Radler has to continue to play the way he has played. Thomas, minus late in the second half in Athens where he pressed, and I don't blame him. No one who knows this game can blame him. He's really been patient. He's been very smart. We mentioned a couple coverage sacks. He's seeing this game. I saw Daryl Loggins talk about, or excuse me, D'Lo talk about um, that he's just he's playing above the X's and O's. He's playing beyond the play call, which is what a great quarterback does. I mentioned that my dad pointed out that D'Lo pointed out in his presser. He's getting his third and fourth uh, reads. D'Lo pointed out there's NFL quarterbacks that are new to the game that aren't doing that. He's, the game is, is is just it's that slowing down old adage for him. Got to keep playing in that way. We got to still get Mario Anderson the ball, and the offensive line needs to continue to progress. They have played better almost every single week, continue. you got to have your best game. This defensive line for Tennessee is not bad. You're going to get, and everyone you play since really North Carolina is going to say the weakness of this offense is the run game and the, and the pass protection. So they're going to say, we're going to load the box. We're going to make you pass the ball. Or excuse me, we're going to stay back. That's what I should say. We're going to stay back. Make you try and run the ball, and we're gonna. We think we can tackle you in the backfield. We don't, you know, it was the old adage of what we talked about with Kirby Smart stopping the run with the least amount of players possible. They're gonna try and do that. Then, when it's obvious passing downs, third and long, second and long, then they're gonna pin their ears back and come for you. And you got to pick it up, you got to make them pay. Because when you blitz, Thomas, you expose yourself on a defense, you're making holes in your defense. So, you got to be able to, as an offensive line, hold up and give Spencer time. Again, Xavier Leggett has to continue to do what he's been doing all week. I saw a a mock draft that had him in the first round already this year. He continues to play the way he's been playing. That is an absolute definite, minus an injury or something crazy. Uh, I think Amon Brown's coming back this week is what I heard. So that always helps. Eddie Lewis looked good. We've seen still good plays. Good catches by Omega Blake. Omega! Omega! All, you know, Luke Doty got in the in there still as a wide receiver, making some plays there. Going to have to be continuing to see that. Thomas, you kind of mentioned earlier with Trey Knox. This is a game you can't drop the ball. You got to catch the football because these Tennessee fans are trying to make life difficult on you, just like they we would be doing if they were in Williams-Brice like we did last year. You drop the ball, you give the fans a reason to get fired up. Because, you know, it's third, it's second and seven. You're at the you're at the eight-yard hitch, and it should be an easy first down. You drop it, now it's third and seven. Now they got something to go nuts about. Um, the one thing I will say that was, you know, we talked about this during the Georgia game. We had a lot of false starts in that Georgia game. You know, need to can't can't have that happen. Gotta avoid that this week. A part of that is we got to make sure our silent count is good. And Thomas, honestly. This is a dangerous situation, and it sounds so silly to, to an average fan. you got to mix up the snap count. 
you can't go on the quarterback clap or the, the guard hitting the center to let him know it's time to snap the ball every single time because it gives the defense defensive line is trying to time the snap to get an extra step. Can't let that happen. You got to keep them from being able to do that. And that snap count can really help you as much as a run game in a lot of ways sometimes. Thomas, how can South Carolina, what do they need to do, even though this Tennessee offense isn't the offense of last year, they can still throw it all over the yard. How do we get prepared? Yeah, you, you said that it not the same Tennessee as last year. You lost uh, Hooker, who I and Hooker uh, had that bad knee injury against us last year. Phenomenal quarterback. Two phenomenal wide receivers in Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. So you've lost those guys. you got Joe Milton, who has an absolute cannon for an arm, but half the time you don't really know where it's going to go. Not to mention, I will say this too, and I think I just learned this today. We talked earlier about how uh, how XL Xavier Leggett turned on the Jets, and I think he was had the fastest time in college football at like twenty two point three miles per hour, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's yes, that sounds right. Twenty two point three miles an hour, which is crazy fastest time in college football at least last weekend. However, I think it was uh, last week against UTSA. First play from scrimmage, Joe Milton had about an 80-yard touchdown run, and he hit 21.3 miles an hour. So he's got Wowzers. some wheels. Yeah, he does. He's got some wheels. But, um, yeah, again, you know, 400 to 500 yards of offense against teams like Virginia, Austin P, UTSA, held under 400 yards against Florida, who they lost to 287 pass, 100 rush. They've got a couple good couple good runs. Running back Shalen Wright, he's fifth in the SEC in rushing, almost seven yards of carry. Jabari Small, seventh in the SEC in rushing, mm. just over six yards of carry. However, I, I still want to put it in some context. Neither neither of them came close to that against Florida. So yes. you've really got a small sample size to, to, to look at this team as far as legit competition. But there's three three ways that, that I look at defending this offense. And – Number one, let's start right here. Most important, man coverage. Beamer has said, Beamer has said in pressers that last year we ran mostly man coverage all night. Granted, it's easier to do that when you have a guy like Cam Smith in the secondary that we had last year. But I think you're going to have to see the same of that this weekend for multiple reasons. So starting out, Tennessee's been starting their games with a lot of perimeter screens from Milton, sort of ease him in, get him some confidence. Again, he doesn't have the accuracy that Hooker did. A lot of times they'll motion a man out and go empty sets on that with nobody in the backfield for those perimeter throws. But you can't leave the middle open because Milton can run, as I said. He's got good speed. He can hurt you with his leg. He's a big guy. But here's something I want to get into a little bit about some of the uniqueness of Heifel's offense because where it is a traditional spread roots and art Bryle scheme from the mm-hmm. Baylor days with those mega mega wide splits that's mm-hmm. one of the things you, you'll pick up most offenses when they put their wide receivers out that Tennessee's got them almost literally on the sidelines yeah. which if you think about it from an offensive perspective it's brilliant because it makes the defense defend more grass it makes yeah. it cover more field so you're going to see they're going to see a lot of wide splits. Now, the offense otherwise is pretty simple. If you really break it down, um, last year they benefited again from a f- fantastic, tremendously accurate quarterback and two phenomenal wide receivers that were big and fast and, and could just position and get balls. But 
their wide receivers, I want you to watch them. Uh, taking out any of those perimeter screens where they're just dumping it out into the flats, wide receiver routes typically start with a 10-yard vertical stem. You mentioned that earlier, and that mm-hmm. is essentially where that wide receiver is just taken off in a sprint straight up the field, 10 yards. That's when Tennessee routes change. It's based on how the defender plays them, and there's three concepts they look at. If he's even, I'm leaving. Again, mm-hmm. this is simple stuff. Basically, what that means, if the wide receiver gets on top of the cornerback, the guy who's defending him in those 10 yards, he runs a pure vertical concept. He's taking it to the house. Jalen Hyatt had a lot of touchdowns that way last year because he was so fast and so big mm-hmm. and could just outrun people. Good job, Will so, Muschamp. Good job, Will Muschamp. Exactly. Yeah, nice <laughs> nice plug. If he's even, I'm leaving. Next, coverage on top, stop and drop, meaning – if at the end of that 10-yard vertical stem, that cornerback is still cushioned off of him and he's still got some stop and curl or come back to it. Curl, come back to it. You're going to look for that open grass, something you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Lastly, coverage outside, post it. Basically, if that coverage is lever- has leverage to the outside, take what they're giving you. Post it to the middle. If the cornerback is leveraging outside, post it to the middle of the field. It's kind of like what they do with their slot receivers. I think you said this last mm-hmm. week or maybe the week yep. before. Grass, not ass. What do we mean by grass, not ass? We want to go to where the open field is, not where players are. If you get into a hole, sit there and show the quarterback your numbers and hold your hands up and ask him to throw you the ball. Could not have said it better myself, and that is exactly why you have to run man against this defense Mm -hmm. because they will find grass, not ass, and sit there and pick you apart. Another thing you're going to see with this offense, you'll see a lot of stack formations with two wide Mm -hmm. receivers, which is literally you're going to – instead of having a guy in the slot and then, you know, five, eight yards to his right, you've got a guy on the line. They're literally going to be stacked on top of each other, one directly behind the other. It creates a lot of rub routes, pick routes, crossing routes that are going to put those defenders in conflict. There's a couple ways you can defend that. You can top hat it, which a lot of people have heard it called different things. Top hat is probably one of the most common, which is essentially your press defender, your man on the line. He's going to play the bottom half of that stack. So whatever the bottom half of that stack does, that's who he's going with. Because again, mm-hmm. you got to play, you got to play man coverage here. Finally, they're going to run a lot of standard two-by-two two sets. You mentioned that earlier with uh, XL's play. Play your slot defender deeper. Put him yep. a little bit deeper because, again, you don't want him to get caught in the wash. They do like to run those pick routes, mm-hmm. those rubber routes. That way you can defend the wide receiver that breaks down the outside – excuse me, that breaks outside down the mm-hmm. sidelines. Mm-hmm. Man coverage, be smart about it. Number two, again, going back to coverage here is nickel coverage. Mm-hmm. You gotta rush as few as possible, have as many in coverage as possible. I would love, love to see South Carolina get pressure, consistent pressure with three here. Florida mm-hmm. had a lot of success running essentially the same thing that Georgia runs a lot for these spread offenses. I think I talked about it some last season, a mint front, which is a tight, a three tight front. Yep. yep. It's it's Again, you mentioned how how Kirby wants to shut down the run game and get to the quarterback with as few people as possible. That's what that defense is designed for. We haven't run a lot of three man fronts, three man pressures. I would I would love to see some of that this weekend. Finally, cover zero. And we talk about cover zero. That means you've got no safety help in the back end. You've got maximum numbers in the box as we're talking about to stop the run, particularly in the red zone. You have to be willing and able to play cover zero against this yes. offense. That's going to give you maximum numbers in the box. 
to stop those inside runs again because it's not just those two good running backs they have, but it's Jay, uh, excuse me, Jalen Joe Milton who can just scamper right up the middle and crush you because we know we know that Stone Blanton ain't gonna take the best angle on him if he's coming out of the backfield. <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's definitely not. Um, and and, Thomas- and and, and finally, finally, when you're on cover zero, it gives you that boundary. Right. That short side of the field as an extra defender. So that's it's it's it sounds simple, but you just got to execute. No, I mean, I dude, that that's a just an excellent breakdown. I mean, that's I'm sure going to be very similar to the game plan. Here's the thing you mentioned with this UT offensive route system, which is just brilliant, and you crushed how you described it. They want that first ten yards to look the exact same every single time. They want you as a defense to not be able to guess what are what's he going to do. The other thing is this offense is designed to be no matter what you do, you're wrong. If I'm even, I'm leaving. Well, I, you know, we played inside leverage. Oh crap! You know, if if, if it's you know if we have them over the top, I hit it. If they're outside, I post it. You know, if if you know if I'm the slot wide receiver, I'm finding holes. It's designed to screw defense over which is what offenses are all designed to it's very air raidish it is a great mesh of like air rage style with uh art briles as you mentioned style of play it's also simple but here's the thing that i think can get confusing for an offense that i have seen in the past all of these things are very true but there's one key element the quarterback and the wide receiver have to see that the exact same way. So, like, let's yes. say there's a little bit of which where's the defender? Okay, wide receiver says he's outside. I'm going to try and take a post. Quarterback looks at it and goes, he's over the top. I'm going to throw a hitch. Well, the hitch, if you're running a post, if wide receiver runs the post and the quarterback throws the hitch, the DB standing there waiting for the football. Fix it. So, you have got to be – this is a game – this is – and, Thomas, <laughs> you're going to get so mad at me. These are option routes, which their game the, – the, the concept of this was born out of option running game. And so the way you stop the option running and passing, you have to be disciplined. You cannot try to do too much. If you're playing man, stick to your man. Don't try to jump it. If you're in this coverage or that coverage, know your keys and stay there. And that, and I also agree with you, getting pressure with three, getting pressure with three is is key. Long drives on offense, pressure with three. You know, South Carolina does those two things, they come out on top on Saturday night. And, and there's just no doubt about it. Um, all right. So that all being said, let's get into predictions. You know, Thomas, the offensive line has improved for South Carolina. Spencer is playing at an elite level. The running game has improved. I love all of those things, and I believe they are good enough to keep South Carolina in striking distance into the fourth quarter. I do not see this as being the last time we went to Knoxville when this was basically over at halftime. And... I think it's going to be that South Carolina can compete and be very close. I want to be logical and realistic here. I have concerns like you do with the miscommunications of last week. Maybe they get fixed automatically. 
We've had guys in and out, great football players. We talked about this with Mario Anderson getting that game experience. Nick Inamware has not has been injured. He hadn't been out there as much. You hadn't had that gel like the offensive line. So maybe they found it this week in practice. I don't know. I can't. I want to, as a Gamecock fan, say, yeah, we're going to go down there. We're going to roll them, and uh, it's going to be a great, great Saturday night. But if I'm thinking as a football, slightly above average football fan, I can't predict that. Uh, I, I think South Carolina does not come out on the winning side of this game, sadly, for us Gamecock fans. However, doing my best, Lee Corso, closer than the experts think. Thomas, what's your thought? Man, this game has uh, has has given me heartburn just thinking about it, and, and I think that if this game was a neutral site, South Carolina wins. If this game was in Columbia, South Carolina wins. Uh, I I hate Tennessee, and I hate Neyland Stadium. I've been there; it's it's awful. The people are bad. I don't like them. They're rude. And it's too crowded in that stadium. They boast about having a hundred and whatever fifty thousand people in there. Yeah, well, you only got six inches of ass space on there. You can cram that many people into a stadium. <laughs> but it uh, Neyland Stadium at night is is an intense, intense place to play. It's loud. It's raucous. I think that's going to be the X factor here. And bad as I hate to say it, I think South Carolina will 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 be within striking distance in the fourth quarter, but I just don't think that they'll be able to pull this one off as bad as it hurts me to say it. I know. And and you and I both want to see it. Um, and, and so does every Gamecock fan, obviously. Now, there is such a thing. We've seen it happen as Gamecock fans, and it happens to every team. You get a little too hyped up. You circle that yeah, game on, on, your, on your schedule a little too much. And old mo, old momentum doesn't go your way. Maybe there's an early turnover, a busted play. Who knows? But if if we're being honest, all things considered, like you said, it's in Neyland. If it was a neutral site, Columbia, whatever, I'd give us a better chance. But I, I unfortunately don't see the Gamecocks coming out on top. All right, Thomas, let's 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 move to uh, games around college football. Thomas, I love that you started with this. Just fans, as you, uh, just so you know, as we prepare for this show, a lot of times Thomas is the one who writes in the order of the other games we're going to talk about, and I love that he started with this. Southern Cal at Colorado. Did Colorado drop all the way out of the top 25? Yes, they did. Well, I mean, they got smoked, so that did happen. Um, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Uh, wow. Wow. I thought that that yeah. we talked last week. We were like, is this line crazy? Nope. Vegas, uh, right. Vegas, Vegas Again, saw it coming. Vegas knows what the hell they're talking that, about. Yeah. That's the reason those casinos are so big. I didn't see anything last week that against Oregon for Colorado that tells me they can hang with the Trojans. Did you? No. Now, now here's the kicker. Like, first of all, Give credit where credit's due. I think Dan Lanning, former Georgia assistant, Nick Saban Tree, Kirby Tree, is doing a phenomenal job at Oregon. I think he is really doing a jam-up job at Oregon. Oregon has a defense, uh, a pretty solid defense. Southern Cal, as we know, has virtually zero defense whatsoever to speak of. So the over-under on this game, 74 Southern Cal is favored by 21 and a half, much like the Oregon game last week, over under 74. 
Southern Cal might score 74 by themselves. Yes. But I think this game is going to be a boat race because neither one of them have a defense. No, no. Hit that over hard. Yes. Um, Found it. I, uh, I, I respect Dion again. He did, you know, here's the thing. Everybody wanted to know, well, how's Dion going to act when they lose? How's he going to act when they lose? Yeah. He's been very confident. He, he said, listen, we got our, we got our tails kicked. And then yeah. Dion, he said, catch me right now. This is as bad as we're going to be. And I was like, dang, Dion. We'll see. Two, three weeks ago, we talked about believe. You should believe in us. Yeah. Now we're as bad as this is going to be. All right. Another great one. 6 p.m. on this one. That that game was at 12. 6 p.m. LSU at Old Miss. Thomas, before we talk about this game, can we talk for a second about Lane Kiffin? Yes, yes, yes. Lane. Does Lane have a big game problem? I think he does, man. Like, this yeah. was your chance to get Nick. This was your chance. I mm, I don't know. I don't know. That was, in my opinion, not a well-called game, not a well-coached game. Um, Old Miss... What have they? I think they've lost to Bama every year that he's been there, and and looked good. And so that being said, this line kind of surprises me because LSU looked really good. Two and a half at uh, at Ole Miss. You think that's a good line? Here's the thing: is I don't know if I'm fully sold on LSU yet. Yeah, uh, they've they've Fair. had some big some some marquee wins, but. Uh, I just don't know if I'm sold on them yet, and uh, th- this this game is interesting because, like you said, man, this this uh, I think Lane Kiffin has a big game problem. I heard a stat the other day; he does not have a very good record against teams that finish the season in the top twenty-five. But this game is in Oxford. Um, you know, I I think I would take Ole Miss on this. I might would even take Ole Miss on the money line. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Um. I this is an I, I don't as much as I agree with that I just don't know maybe just okay let's ask it this way does Lane Kiffin have an Alabama problem he could have an Alabama problem and it could be a, a you know it's like a little father son between uh, yeah. Nick between Nick and Lane and like Nick's like you're never gonna beat me son gonna <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen yeah. uh, all right I love that you put this one game as well this is interesting to me. Right. Oh, so interesting. Seven thirty kickoff. So you know, me and Dad may have to set up a second television or something. Um, yeah, get the iPad or something. Notre Dame at Duke, number eleven. Notre Dame, number seventeen. Duke. Thomas, before we talk game, is and this I, I you know this is very cliche to say, but is this in the modern football? Is this Duke's? Biggest football game in the last what twenty years? Pretty, uh, pretty big. If you take out like, yeah, probably take that out because it's a bowl game. But that bowl game against A and M eons ago, I guess it wasn't eons ago. But yeah, because I mean, Duke is is legit. Again, we've talked about it before how well Mike Elko has that program going. But man, they gotta want to hold on to Elko as long as they can because if they keep this up, he ain't gonna be around much longer. No, he ain't sticking around. Uh, Notre Dame, Thomas. Do you feel like they they kind of just didn't 
they I, I feel like they got out coached at the end yeah, of the Ohio State game. Uh, 100%. You know, just outworked. Ryan Day has had a lot to say to Lou Holtz, which Dude, I mean, I know. and I don't like giving that guy credit because I think he's kind of a little bitch sometimes. But yeah, like calling <laughs> out Lou Holtz, man, come on, yeah, oh, the guy's God. a legend, find, and he's like. Joy. Yeah, dude, find some joy is right. Um, for that reason, and for my good friend Andrew Fisher, who's been on this show as a temporary host while you you were uh, unavailable, uh, he is he has a, a degree from the University of, or Duke University. I'm pulling for the Blue Devils. Go get them, Blue Devils! Y'all win this ball game, beat Notre Dame at home. And I mean, but here's the thing: Will Duke party? Like, will they rush the field? Like, let's say they win. What happens? Well, I guess I guess maybe all fifty of their students in the student section might rush the field, which <laughs> and all the parents handle that yeah. instead of yeah. instead of instead of the announcement like "Please stay off the field, please stay off the field." Yeah. Duke, Duke's good. PA is gonna be like, "Everybody, come down! We just want a huge game. Let's get everybody <laughs> off the field." Yeah. Y'all let's let's tear, enjoy it. Let's if y'all want to tear down the goalposts, <laughs> we're here for you. Um, so there's gonna be some good ones. Thomas, it's going to be a good weekend of college football. I'm so interested in these games we have. South Carolina, you know, obviously my heart always says we're going to win, but my brain says probably not this week. We'll see what happens. That's why we play the game, as they say. Follow us on social media at at SAA Football Fan on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook at just the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. And you can email us at at saafootballfan at gmail.com. Bring in those questions uh, if you want to get hear those things. Go get your free ice at Lake Murray Ice. And, Thomas, as we head out the door, what do you want to tell the people? I want to send a message to Tennessee. I want to send a message to the Tennessee program. We all heard that they have, quote, unquote, initiated dark mode. They're wearing black uniforms this weekend. Well, I didn't know that Tennessee had black in their official color palette, but we've seen this before, and it's such a gimmick, and it's tired. And to paraphrase my older brother, of course those hillbilly rednecks would do this, and it's apparent this game against us is the most important game on their schedule this year. And I'm kind of happy we've elevated ourselves enough to be looked at that way because they used to never give us a second fault. See ya. See ya.